Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. With producer Sanaa Marie, each week I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Yo, 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 what's up? It's your boy Howard Q hanging out with Double E, Ina Esco on the Verbally Effective podcast. Player. I'm Condi Anthony from WMC Action News 5. You can join me weekdays on Channel 5 at 5, 6, and 10 p.m. I'm hanging with Ina Esco on Verbally Effective. London Lamar is the state representative for District 91, a proud native Memphian, and a courageous community advocate. London's fearlessness aided in her journey to becoming the youngest legislator in the current Tennessee General Assembly. London has advocated on national, state, and local policies and legislation that supports families and health care. London also worked as an advocate for public education, where she empowered, enlightened, and engaged parents and community members in failing and priority school districts to also be advocates by utilizing their voices, being knowledgeable in educational policies, and voting on those that impact public schools and its students. She also ran state and local campaigns that contributed to helping other goal-oriented community leaders get elected into office. She is committed to being a dedicated civil servant who inspires and motivates her peers to be an effective change agent for our future and for our families. Verbally Effective, your double E, Ina Esco here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 131 of the Verbally Effective podcast. You guys know you can download, subscribe, do a review on all of the podcast platforms. I'm talking about Spotify, iTunes, CastBox, SoundCloud. We are on there. And today I'm so excited because I have one of the youngest legislators in the Tennessee General Assembly on the line with me today. She is the Tennessee State Representative for District 91. And she's trying to get you guys to the polls for this upcoming election. I'm talking about London Lamar. How are you, beautiful? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you so much for bringing me on. Girl, I'm doing great. I'm so glad you agreed to do the podcast. I know you're a busy lady right now, right? Oh, yeah. We have an election coming up in two days. So just preparing for that. I know it's just tough. So yes, it's time. And look, we're in an entire pandemic in the midst of all of that at the same time. (laughs) Our, Our world is just so crazy right now. And 
you know, so many people are sick and people are just trying to figure out how to live life now. So it's a very interesting time in history right now. It is. It is. But you know what, London, I want to learn more about you today. We've met uh, several times and you have always been pleasant. I have been so intrigued about your journey and want to learn more about you. So let's kick it off. What part of Memphis are you from, lady? I am from Whitehaven. Whitehaven, yes. I love people from Whitehaven. Can I say that? Uh, We love you too. (laughs) Because you guys... You guys are like so highly spirited about your community. Tell me about growing up in Whitehaven, London. That's you know, I that's what I love about Whitehaven is what you said. I like I know my neighbors, uh, people who've been in the community have been here for years and decades, and and what actually has led me into politics is my family who's lived in Whitehaven and seeing them over time always care about the community always participating in the community and taking some type of ownership in this area and what I love about Whitehaven is you know we have sustainable businesses small and large Mm -hmm. and um, it truly represents the good side of Memphis it does it does and you know growing up in Whitehaven uh tell me about you know some of the schools you attended and some of the activities you were involved in yeah so um I went to the University of Memphis campus school for elementary and then I went to Central for uh high school and it's so funny because my mom graduated from Whitehaven but my dad graduated from Central so I lived in Whitehaven it's always this you know, where I'm going to go. But I ended up going to graduating from Central D High School, and I'm a proud uh, Central alumni. Mm -hmm. Um, But growing up, I was always one of those students who, like, wanted to be a part of something. Like, my mother always had me involved in after-school programs, church programs, extracurricular activities. Um, And, you know, it became, like, a part of my enrichment as a person as mm-hmm. I was growing up is was always somehow being a part in whatever community I was in at the time. And it uh, tends to be my schools or my after schools programs. And even when I was young, I remember always wanting to take on additional ownership in the things I was involved in and be of some type of influence and leadership among my peers uh, and build relationships with them. Um, and so I guess I could say that like me growing up in these schools in Memphis really groomed me to be the young person I am today because of everything that it offered, um, you know, from sports to student council to, mm-hmm. you know, being involved in things outside of school, like the Memphis Challenge and the Memphis Rotary Club um, okay. and everything. I, you know, felt that life was more than about completing a task. It's about who do you become in creating that task and who do you become in bettering your community. And I realized that at a young age, going to Central and uh, the other schools I went to, I actually also went to Memphis First Charter School, too. Really? Um, so for middle school, I went to Mace, Memphis Academy of Science and Engineering, the okay. first year open. Wow. And I got a great education. Yes, yes. Wow. So I see that you were, you know, heavily involved in extracurricular activities did you do you have any siblings or are you the only child oh i have siblings um you do. Okay. my mother has two my dad has five total okay um but i'm closest to my uh sister courtney she's my full sister and uh i'm very very proud of her i want to brag on her for a second she um 
she's 26 she lives in oakland california now Mm -hmm. and she just graduated two years ago but just a couple months ago she just got hired by steph and aisha curry's nonprofit eat learn play and she's the new uh, associate so it's kind of cool to see her because she's really shy she doesn't care about you know the whole nba thing but to see her grow in her career Mm -hmm. um, and be able to work for such impactful people and entertainers and uh, athletes um is really amazing so i'm really proud of my sister so shout out that's a wonderful opportunity because i've been following the curries and all of their you know endeavors that they've been doing outside of the nba and within the nba so that's a great opportunity for sis yes i'm so proud of her Yes. Okay, London. So, you know, you graduated from Central. When you graduated, what was the plan? What did you do? So that's an interesting story. And I (laughs) always love telling this story because I tell people, be open to how, follow your dreams and follow your heart. Mm -hmm. And so to take you back to my senior year of high school, um, that was uh, 2008, 2009. So November 2008, um, I remember being excited about the Obama election. Uh, I was always, like, a part of politics. I was, like, a senior officer. I was junior class president. Like, I did that whole class president thing. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw President Obama get elected, like, a black man get elected to public office, it changed my whole life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really did because I was applying to college as an engineering major because I thought black women and STEM will make a lot of money. And I wanted to be, I thought being rich was a sign of success, like having a lot of money. So because I was good at math, I thought if I'm an engineer and I'm a black woman, I'm gonna get a job, make a lot of money. But you know, that feeling that I had seeing Obama get elected to office kind of changed my thought process was like pursuing life is more than about money. It's about inspiring and impacting change because he, that moment just did something for me. So when I decided to go to St. Mary's College, you know, before I uh, uh, started school in the fall, I called them. I said, you know what? I really don't want to do engineering. I really want to do political science. And I changed my major, stuck with it. I had the opportunity to do amazing things at St. Mary's. And I can truly say my college is where I really became who I am. Um, and as a woman, as a leader, um, being able to undergo uh, adversity and uh, triumphant issues and, and doing that in a space of owning, like, I want to do this politically. And I used to tell my classmates, I said, one day I'm going to run for office. Like, in our summer classes, we have to write speeches. Uh, I would write speeches as if I'm president of the United States or a Congress or a senator. Um, and and it became what I unintentionally um, worked toward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, when I left school and decided to pursue my dreams, I realized from that moment on that life, if you don't go after for what you want, it won't happen. And so it was just very, but I just want to say like how inspiring Obama was for me in that pivotal moment where I was 17 years old, heading to college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And his presidency was happening in the nick of time to really get me on the path to where I am now. And I just thank President Obama for that. And, you know, I'm not here to talk about policy, but I want to talk about how significant his presidency was for black people and young black girls like me to see a first lady who had chocolate skin like me. That was just 
off the chain, okay? I understand. I understand. And we miss President Obama so much. We do. <laughs> well, you know what? That leads me to this question, London. How does it feel to be a black woman in you know, a political space in 2020 as a black woman. How? What does that look like for you? How does it feel? I've never felt more powerful and scared at the same time in my life. Mm. I understand that the plight for black freedom and liberation in this time is more important than ever. It's more necessary than ever. It's no better time for me to own my blackness proclaim my blackness, be proud of my blackness, but demand, but demand that my blackness is also equal to your whiteness or any other color of people in this country. And that given our contribution to America's history, we are owed yeah. the opportunity to thrive in this country just like everyone else. And I've never felt more confident to own that, the space that I've been in now. But at the same time, liberation costs it's a high price and so we see all the time that the fight to maintain supremacy means the attack of our black leaders and what's scary about that is in this time like they're no longer riding for us the way they rolled for their black leaders back in my grandma day like we got this huge cancel culture that I think is very toxic to the blacks the black strategy for our liberation right now and it makes it hard because it, as more powerful and open as I want to be, I also feel like I'm walking on eggshells because in the space that got to push our liberation, if I proclaim it too much, it's not seen as something that respected. It seems it's seen as something that is um, uh, problematic for others, and then you have to be stopped or those who don't agree with your plight, but you become a target. Mm. And we've seen black people become targets and what they do to you and how they ruin your family time after time. And so, you know, oftentimes I don't walk in fear, but I am conscious of the fact that walking in this space and being who I am oftentimes will make me a target. Mm. And so I do my best to... Uh, that, and that's why I also present myself as very imperfect in my image as a legislator mm. um, as well. I present myself very authentic. I don't, you know, I let people know like, you you have a promise on the job? Me too, sis. Yeah. You know, you got student loans, hundreds of thousand dollars in student loans? Me too, sis. Yeah. Girl, your credit is hard for me to get a house? Me too, sis. You know, and I'm 29 years old. Mm. So I'm still going through life Yeah. You um, and trying to figure it out as well. And so also like, how do I you know, be this perfect, powerful, strong woman. But also, y'all, I'm still a woman and a girl who's one day wants a family and is trying to have to try this dating thing, and then you're in the public eye all the time. Right, so it's right. um, it's it, it, people don't think about that because oftentimes when you're in this position, you know, think about what is your what do you have to do for me and what are you doing for your community. But I'm also uh, make it necessary that I um, own my self-care and understand that I make time to build the life that I want outside of being a legislator too and that gets hard I know it does get hard and I'm glad you mentioned self-care because you know like we mentioned we're undergoing an entire pandemic and 
you know, do you have a self-care routine during uh, these days of quarantine and pandemic? Uh, what do you do for self-care, London? Oh, well, that's a good question. Like, literally, right before this podcast, I just finished a three-and-a-half-mile walk. And, um, you know, I'm, I battle, like, times where I just feel, like, really sad and down sometimes just for, like, no reason or just sometimes life is just tough. And but it's no better feeling than like when I go walking or a little jog or run. I'm not a marathon runner or a sprinter or anything like that, but I'll go for a walk and the, the natural endorphins that are released make me feel so <laughs> so good. You know, when I'm walking and it gives me time to wake up and clear my mind. It gives me time to think about my day. I think about decisions, you know. Uh, in a healthy way. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, black women, we're dying because of our health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to prioritize being healthy. Like, I want to make sure, like, walking is not a chore. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, and so it just, it just, that's, that's my self-care. It's trying to prioritize my health. And especially um, being in situations where not prioritizing my health has almost cost you your life mm-hmm. and the life of others. You know, you it makes me reevaluate my self care, um, and so I also like to sleep. I don't feel guilty about sleeping late anymore or going to bed early. If it don't get done, it don't get done. But you know, you're no use to the world uh, if you're dead. You know, that's why I'm like health, sleep, because as a politician, people's expectation is you're gonna move when they say you move. And while I do serve the people, and that is true. You know, I'm no good to the people with all the talents that I've had. Don't prioritize making sure that I'm in the best position possible to to perform. Um, And before quarantine, I used to love going to the movies by myself, usually on Sundays. Um, But that's but that's been hard. And I like to travel too, and so it's been hard not being able to travel um, because I love to meet new people. I'm an extrovert. Um, I'm an introvert because I'll do it by myself. I'm an extrovert because I feed off people's energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so not being able to be out and engage with people um, has been really hard on me. So Yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, in your position, you're serving the people. So, you know, you have to, to take care of your duty as a state representative so you know with the current climate and you having to do your job how has that been like with you know mandates uh on the way i I guess our new normal is now with masks and you know you probably can't touch people how what does that look like for you as a state representative uh having to engage with people nowadays Yes, that's a great question because it's been very hard. Typically, like, for example, this summer, I would do, like, a district-wide town hall series. I go to different neighborhoods, but I can't do that. So I rely on a lot of technology like um, Zooms and social media and uh, earned media through news um, and all of those avenues. But it has been very tough for me to do that. Um, so it has... Um, played an impact on my ability to, to reconnect with my community and it's a really a blessing that I went so hard my first time mm-hmm. to be able to run unopposed in this election 
so I'm not worried about, you know, who's trying to come for me or anything. So it, it, it brings a lot of stress about the election down. However, I planned, I had a, a whole schedule of things I wanted to do in my district um, with community you know, drives and meetings and things like that. And it's all been slashed because of COVID. And I, and those who are most active in my district are elderly individuals. And so I also have to put their health first. I can't, I can't put them at risk because they're vulnerable populations. And so that's why it's so important that people wear masks and respect the mandates that are going on because as a member of this society, it's not about you you have an obligation to worry about the greater good. And so wearing a mask is not what you personally believe about COVID, whether it's real or fake. It is about public health and your obligation to contribute to good public health. And right now we are in a public, we are in a state of emergency when it comes to public health. The truth is people are dying um, the scary thing about COVID is the fact that you don't know how it's going to affect you. There could be someone who gets COVID who has literally no symptoms. It's someone who may lose their taste. It's someone who may actually have flu-like symptoms and be down and throwing up. And then there's the ones who can't breathe and eventually die. Yeah. So that's you. it's just so unknown. And until we get to a point that we can figure out how to prevent folks from getting this disease or this virus. Uh, I just ask that people just do the responsible thing on their own and wear a mask until we get through this. And the more responsible we are on the front end, the better we off on the later end. It's it's the basic lessons of life our teach our, our parents and our teachers have taught us through if you be responsible on the front end, do the right thing the first time, then things will work out for the best. And that's just what I ask the community um to do that. But I'm also as a legislator very disappointed in the state and in, in, in the overall response uh, from the, the from the federal level to the state level to some on the local level about how we've been able to respond to this coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, we have put systems in place where people are supposed to be able to like, get more unemployment benefits and things like that, and that has not gone as smoothly. And what it has done has exposed the inefficiencies and the deficits and the the gaps in the system we have now that we need to fix in order to service people when we are in another state of emergency. You know, I'm thankful that the Speaker of the House appointed me to a committee to study the uh, governor's state of emergency powers um, during a state of emergency. What is what is the scope of his executive powers? And oftentimes in this pandemic, you were seeing the governor come out with executive order this, executive order that, changing and mandating different things. Um, and what does that look like if this happens again? We also need to ask ourselves, as Black people, it exposes how unprepared and economically and socially disadvantaged we further are. We already knew it, but it exposed it on a whole new level on those who are, uh, you know, we've been able to survive on paycheck to paycheck. But when you're in a pandemic in a state of emergency, paycheck to paycheck ain't going to work. You know, where, where are our savings? Where are our basic life skills, like learning how to grow food and being able to live off the land when something shuts down or when you can't go nowhere? Um, basic life skills, how parents have been so dependent on the school. Let's go back to, can you teach your own child? Yes. And it's, 
I know it's a virtual learning. I know. And so it is, it has really changed how we are operating our system. And I'm interested in this off season, even though we have a special session next week uh, that's been called yesterday, um, leading up to January, how do we improve this system so that regardless if we are in a state of emergency or not, our community is not getting further left behind and we are also being able to take advantage and be able to thrive just like everyone else. London, I'm so glad that you brought up um, how, you know, it, I agree with you, what you said, as far as everything is being exposed right now. To me, it's exposure season to, you know, let people know how we are really operating in these COVID streets when a full pandemic hits and it's affecting all spaces, in all angles, everything. So with that being said, um, you mentioned the school. So I am one of those parents that will have to teach my kids and work from home and, and figure it out. And, and that's what I'm going to do because I don't want my child going to school. Now, I'm actually in DeSoto County, and they are actually letting those kids go back to school, but the parents have an option. So, I, And I'm seeing different reports come out every day about some of these schools starting and already shutting down because the kids are, are contracting COVID. So what are your thoughts on, you know, I, I know the Shelby County schools, they're going full virtual, but across the nation, there are so many schools that are actually going with the traditional model. What are your thoughts on that? So that's a very, I just want my you to know my thoughts are very complex because it's a very complex decision we are making right now and this is my take on why it's so complex because when you're going going virtual is going to again expose the socioeconomic disadvantages of our students mm -hmm. because one wi-fi is a privilege yep wi-fi can you afford wi-fi and i and i and good quality wi-fi i'm talking att you know consistent mm -hmm. For the most part, so that they can do their lesson all day. Can you, does your parent have the privilege of having a job that allows them to work from home? Mm -hmm. How many people do you have in your house? You like you don't even think about how students only want to show how their house looks because they're so poor, mm -hmm. or because of their situation, or things like that. And I know SES is putting things in place, but we're about to see that on a whole level. Or those so in poverty that. Their cousin may steal their technology and go sell it to a pawn shop or whatever it may be. Like, yeah. I'm worried about those issues. Um, but at the same time, you know, I'm not at the point where I think we need to risk our children's health by sending them back to school. And we're just going to be at a point where we're going to have to figure that out. But what by them not going to school and us having those so many disadvantages, you're going to see a full year of students falling behind yeah. where they're supposed to be. And, and, and nobody wants to say that, but there, I don't see virtual learning to this is as going to be effective this first year. It's first year. I ain't saying it won't ever be effective, but you're going to see a you're going to see the issues and the hiccups again. We're going to go through another exposure season, and we're going to have to figure out that how we're going to create equity in this new virtual space. Um, because even after COVID clears up, I don't think, I think this virtual space is going to be here to stay. Um, there's already virtual schools open up around the country, pre-COVID anyway.
Mm. So we're we're about to experience a time in history where we're going into a new world as far as how we're going to educate our kids. And we're going to have to be presented with new options. Um, And these are one of the options we're going to have to explore. And I hope that the community gets really gets back to its old roots and come together on this. And the mamas who are in the community, who are at home, uh, who can help out and, you know, use their space to allow kids in the, in the, in the community to come over. If a mama got to work or, you know, there are people who setting up very, um, sanitary appropriate tutoring opportunities for folks to assist in, you know, what will be this new virtual learning space. But those for those schools that aren't doing virtual learning, I, I think they're setting a very dangerous precedence when it comes to children. Um, and although I do think it should be a parent's personal decision, um, as far as what they want to do with their child. I do think there's some obligation for the district to also put in systems in place to make them make the responsible decision. Yeah. And I appreciate SES doing that. Yeah, I do too. When um, the superintendent pulled the plug and went full virtual, I, I just knew DeSoto County would follow suit, but that has not happened at all. And you got so many parents so worried, so many teachers that are worried. You know, absolutely. We're thinking about the teachers as well, and some of these kids, as far as you know, just they they went to school. That was their only meal a day. So exactly, exactly. It, it, it's exposing so much right now, so much right now. But um, let's switch gears a minute. Uh, London, I know that you're the president of the Tennessee Young Democrats, and you know when we, we have a, a whole presidential um, election coming up in November. Uh, if if Trump don't do something to to make it go away, but <laughs> you know. I often tell people to do their research when uh, deciding to, who you're going to vote on with with any, you know, political uh, position. But I, I see that, you know, like I said, you're the president of the Tennessee Young Democrat, Young Democrats. Why did you choose to become a Democrat? So that was, I'm the former president. I uh, ended okay. my term last year, and I served in a term for four years. Okay. Um, the second African-American woman to do that. But that's an interesting story. Why did I become a Democrat? I, one, because of historically, in modern times, black people have, I grew up in a family where black people typically lean Democrat based on how the Democratic Party was moving in its views and how black people were benefiting from some of those uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. And the Democratic Party in re- recently, not back in uh, early 1900s, but has been more on the side of racial justice. Um, and that is why most times people even though they're not perfect, people lean to democratic the Democratic way because it's mostly Democratic candidates who are going to vote for social, economic, racial justice issues over the Republican Party. Yeah. So that's a lot of why I, you know, I am a Democrat, um, and it's just something I've been exposed to uh, the influence of Obama. But when I graduated college and how I got started in Memphis was, I was interning for this lady and. I went to a Democratic Party, a local Democratic Party meeting with her, my um, Shelby County Democratic Party, and I attended the meeting, 
And I was sitting in the room, mind you, I just graduated college within the last year, 23 years old. I'm looking around the room like, am I really the youngest person in here? Like, by 20 years? Like, you know, I'm, I'm in here like shook. Like, I'm like, who are these? Oh. <laughs> and these? And, and I'm like, all these politicians in here too? And ain't no young people? I was like, oh, no. And so I wanted to be a part of it. Because I was also ran the College Democrats Club when I was in college. So I was familiar with being involved. And so I started the Shelby County Young Democrats in Memphis. And that was my way of, I was sick of volunteering for the party and working the sign-in tables. And I said I don't mind because that's where you got to start. That's not where London was going in. Okay. And, I, you know, that's that's just kind of, I'm not here just to be someone that's a part of, I'm here to make decisions and especially since I'm not represented that's problematic for me and so if you weren't going to give me a seat I was going to make my own seat at the table brought my folding chair uh, restarted their organization and so now they were obligated to engage with me and my group and our whole platform was we're pushing the same policies and issues or we're pushing it from our generation's perspective and as a political organization you are obligated to take our perspective into consideration as you move forward and if you want us to influence your election politicians volunteer in your campaigns help you phone bank donate then you need to listen and vote our way and put us in positions of power and so i was able to do that effectively in memphis and made that the largest young democrats or uh county organization within a year and so i ran for the state presidency in 2015 and won and i served in that role for uh, four years and I was able to travel the whole state of Tennessee and that's when I knew I was falling in love with state level politics outside of running for office when I was younger at 23 24 23 and um like traveling the state and seeing East Tennessee and Middle Tennessee and really exposing to like outside my Memphis bubble or what Tennessee is really like mm. um it was really popping off out here mm-hmm. I'm like I right now I can't <laughs> be a Republican like, it's okay. just because of, I you see some of, like, the Confederate flags, yeah. the, when I stop in these rural areas, like, the fear I have mm. when they look at me, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just like, I can't get with you right now. Um, and right. so, but what people don't realize is also the Democratic Party um, still has a long ways to go as far as what it needs to push for as far as black communities Mm -hmm. because let's be very clear like the black community in mass is not all the way pleased with the democratic party either and what black what i want to do even though i'm a democrat what i'm more focused on is coming up with an agenda that is going to liberate and create equity for the black community and i'm willing to work with any individual regardless if you're democrat or republican to get it done uh, and I think that's important as black people that we vote our interests and not our party sometimes. But right now, the Democratic Party is doing the best job of, you know, at least getting some type of progress. But we still have a long way to go. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But, um, you know, something that you mentioned, uh, it, it sounds like, you know, you had created your own table, baby, and they had to engage with you. I heard I heard what you said. And it sounds like you have been the youngest in the room in, in a lot of 
situations, what kind of challenges have you faced being the youngest London? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I work twice as hard to be half as good. Mm. And because I am literally as a young person and, and, Oh, I, it's a natural thing. As you're older, you think you're more smarter and mature than those are younger than you. It's just like a, it's a thing, you know, it's just, we're humans. That's how we think. And so oftentimes I know walking in a room, I have to, as some prove that I am just as qualified, just as smart, just as mature and articulate as you are. And I, and it was interesting. I've been able to really spotlight that through my use of technology um, and social media where that is really my advantage over many of my colleagues is my ability to navigate technology to get what I need done and do that more efficiently. Um, and also take the time to present. And, and I personally, as Alanda Lamar, I spend time making sure that I show up as, as best as I can. I make sure that because I am young and I will be rich off, i you know, I will never walk in a committee room without doing some type of research or talking points on any piece of legislation I'm pe- presenting, mm. period. They will not ever catch me in there looking crazy or unprepared. Okay. Now, they may try to throw some curveballs at you because that's what they do. Mm-hmm. But as far as like, do I not know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. No, that's I'm not going to do that because I understand that because I am one of the only young people in this role that I unintentionally am tokenized as the representation of all young people. And because the first time I mess up is going to be, see, young people can't do this, young people Mm -hmm. can't do that. So I personally hold myself to an even higher standard, and not a standard of perfection or anything, but to a standard of I'm always going to put my best foot, foot forward because I understand I'm representing a whole generation that now needs to move into leadership. And me being one of the first and only is my obligation. And I'm in the role to open those doors and break glass ceilings for the next generation to come in and become the the next leaders and the next politicians alongside with me. And I even before I got in office, that was something I was pushing for. Like even when I was young dance president, like half my board was running for different offices, whether they want or not. Like we were go we were putting ourselves on the ballot. Like yeah. we made ourselves a force to be reckoned with and made the the greater political circle engage with us and now you know you're seeing more young people being elected to office in memphis you're seeing the change in the 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 change in generational change you know you have myself you have jb smiley and michael lynn on the city council you got timmy on the commission Uh, you also got ramesh in the senate so you're seeing a lot of young folks step into leadership um, and we're only going to see more as time goes on. Yes, and you guys are definitely representing well. You're doing your thing. You're doing your thing, London. And um, let me ask you this, you know, with the upcoming election in November and uh, next week, how are you getting your district to the polls, and why is it so important, London? I am using a lot of social media. Yeah. I'm definitely using social media trying to market myself and making voting cool and cultural uh, we use mailing um, I use robocalls uh, uh, earn media um, 
So I use, you know, technology the best I can in this pandemic to get people to the polls. But I will say voter turnout is extremely low in the city, and I'm extremely disappointed. Uh, people are not voting. Uh, even though absentee ballot requests have gone up, there's still people are still not voting at the rate that they need to vote. And, you know, I under, I get that we're in a pandemic, but I fought for uh, mail, you know, mail-in voting options, uh, absentee voting options, so people won't have to leave the house, and people are still not doing it. And so, you know, I'm also a challenge that I'm going through right now is what more can I do? And I'm oftentimes asking my question, asking myself that question to get my community in mass, and really, to be honest, young people. Let me just call, say what it is, young people, um, to the polls. Um, you know, 60 plus vote. You know, middle age, they iffy that, you know, they vote in presidentials. But when I this these young folks, you know, in my generation, I, you know, I tell them all the time, like, we so woke. Like, we're, we're so, we know history. We got, you know, we can look up anything. We can find any answer to whatever we want. I promise you, the most savvy individuals you've seen. However, voting and taking part in this, in this community and your role in society is not as quick as putting up a Facebook status or Instagram post or whatever technology. Like, it requires work. It requires you getting off your butt, going to stand in line, yes, pressing a button, and no, no fireworks are going to go off when you go vote or you go get a raise in your paycheck or nothing like that. You got to be okay with understanding, I got to do this, and even though it's not sexy and it's not fun, I have an obligation as a citizen to cast my vote. And even if you so pro-black, your ancestors died, got lynched, fought okay. for the right to vote. Like, let me tell you what's so significant about this month, sis. Damn. This month, and I just did a shoot about this yesterday, is that this is the 100-year anniversary of the women's suffrage movement this month. Mm. The women's suffrage movement gave women the constitutional right to vote. That 100 years ago this month, women just received the right to actually cast a vote. And black women were so pivotal in this movement to fight for the right to vote, even though we don't get the spotlight because oftentimes, you know, we're, we don't get the credit we deserve. But when I think about all these black women who are at the back of the marches or have to organize only within themselves and we aren't honoring them by just taking an hour or two, if not that, if you go early vote, really 15 minutes, to just go vote for the leader that you think is going to be best for our community, that the leaders that we they fought so hard for. It's just, I just don't, I just don't understand. Um, you know, and it, it pains me that we aren't voting how we should, but I'm not going to give up. And what I'm going to do is continue to ask myself, what more can I do? to help educate my community but my older generation they got it and because they lived through Jim Crow they get it they understand it you know now we're not getting kicked out the restaurants no more because we're black but still the system is not benefiting us and you have an obligation to change the system that we're not thriving in by taking one hour of your time and go to the polls Go to the polls, people. Come on, young folks. Go to the polls. <laughs> yes, so. Don't you know, give up, London. I know you're not no quitters. I, I know you're going to keep educating these people out here. So, you know, you just got a hard job to do. You got a hard a job. A real hard. But God put me on this earth to do it. Like, he yep. called. 
for some reason I felt like he called me to do it and even all this the the the, the, the hard days and the the triumphs and the and the and the sad days and the lonely days because there are a lot of lonely days hmm. um there's no better feeling than being able to to go back to my district and say I passed this law for you two of, I passed four bills on the house floor this year hmm. and two of my public law right now wow. and I can sit back and say you know one day to my future children or grandchildren say well you know your mama pet made this law Okay. You know, your mama, grandma, you know, <laughs> made this law and, you know, there were things that weren't, that were important. Like they wanted us to ensure that pregnant prisoners get prenatal and postpartum care. So women won't die in the prison. Mm. And the other one is to allow women um, who get pregnant, have the hope scholarship to delay school so they can have their children, won't lose their scholarship money. Wow. So, you know, I'm definitely trying to be progressive and, you know, solve some of the problems that I see some of our black women go through mm-hmm. in a way that I think everybody in the state can get on board with. London, we are so proud of you and, and the work that you're doing. Just, you know, stay stay steadfast and, um, you know, resilient in, in all of your endeavors. Girl, I'm so proud of you. And I'm oh, so glad you. that I've been able to go in an in-depth conversation with you today and I really want you to tell the verbally effective audience maybe one thing about London Lamar that they probably don't know. Just the one thing that, that the people okay. probably would be so surprised. Really? London, what? <laughs> okay. Uh, I really enjoy, like, action films with like dinosaurs or superheroes and things like that like I could watch movies like that for hours and like really? that's my nerdy side like my favorite movie in the world is Jurassic Park I love a good Jurassic Park movie now yes I mean <laughs> I'm like I go on open at night since the last for the last like four movies they've had I'm there open at night and my dream is to go to they coming out with the third one next summer, and my dream is to go to the world premiere. So I don't know how to make a, a, that happen for myself, but if I were to find out, I would be the first one there because I love dinosaurs and the story, their creation, and um, I've always been fascinated with them, even as a kid. Like, my mom used to take me to museums a lot so I could see the dinosaurs and things like that. So wow, I love science. I'm a big science animal person. I think it's really cool. Okay, that's so interesting. And if I were to get in the car with you, you came and picked your girl up, what would be playing on your playlist? Probably. Girl, it'd be some Tony Braxton. Okay. Seven whole days, girl. <laughs> okay. I love art. I love me some Tony Braxton. Uh, and our 90s R&B. I think that was one of the greatest times yes. in, in R&B music. And, that's right. You know. I just think she uh, she's a classic. I love Whitney Houston um, and, and Mariah Carey. But if I'm not having a chill day with Tony, I will tell you I'm bumping some Meg the Stallion. Okay, okay that's a deep stallion. <laughs> I... Yes, they call me the Stallion of Politics. Oh, I didn't know that. The Stallion of Politics. That, that's I a like joke that. for me and my friends. Yes, <laughs> I like that. You know, she coming out with something new with Cardi. I saw on Friday, yes. yes. Oh, you know I'm listening because I'm a Cardi fan too. So, side note, with this woman empowerment thing, I am 
really excited to see so many uh, female rappers coming in and just owning a game. Mm-hmm. I mean, female rappers are dominating the game, okay? Like, from yeah. City Girls to Meg to Swatty to Mulatto to Cardi, Nikki, all of them. Like, they owning it, and they claiming they bossness in a way that, yeah. you know, I, I can see through the language of understanding. It ain't about the P word, but it's about owning my womanness and getting mine the same okay. way men been talking about getting theirs. Okay. And I'm, and I'm Man, I'm rocking with it. Especially, look, I bought Meg Thee Stallion pull into the, the Capitol Garage. Like, hey. oh. <laughs> you going to be at the meetings next week in Nashville bumping that Meg before you get out. Look, call me the Stallion. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's right, girl. Well, thank you so much, London Lamar, Tennessee State yes, Representative. this has been great. 91, yes, it has been such a pleasure talking with you today on the verbally effective podcast i know you know my listeners are gonna be so happy to hear that you're so open and transparent and so passionate about your work and i'm so proud of you lady and thank you so much london i really enjoyed you today me too thank you so much and 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 i just want to let the people know if y'all need anything Please hit me up on my Facebook as State Representative London Lamar, my Instagram at London Lamar TN, or on Twitter at Rep Lamar. Yes, the stallion of politics. Yes, ma'am.